This is, um, let's see, this is episode, God, I don't know what it is, episode 23 or something? Anyway, this is Pals with Bill Wadman, and today I have an old friend, Eric Gaskins, here to discuss a whole bunch of stuff that I know nothing about. This is my, this is my favorite thing. I've had dancers on here, I've had authors, I've had uh, 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 computer scientists, I've had all kinds of people, but most of those people I know something about what they did or do. I know nothing about fashion, absolutely nothing. So I feel like I'm I'm in for a real thing here. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knows something about fashion. You think that's they, true? Yeah, they think they don't, but they do because you're taking you're taking it in every single day, like people in the business. Just you're taking it in in a slightly different way. Right. Yeah. Now you, uh, where'd you grow up? In Massachusetts. Right in Massachusetts. When you were growing up in Massachusetts in the, I guess it would be late 60s, early 70s? Yeah. Did you know you were interested in fashion even as a kid? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't. Um, I have a twin sister and an older sister, so I grew up in a house that was primary, you know, predominantly female. So right. I was around them and seeing them getting dressed up and stuff like that. But I didn't have a fantasy about fashion. That didn't come until um, later in high school, really sort of by accident. By accident? Yeah, sort of by accident. How'd you fall into it? Well, for in, in one sense, it was kind of something that was brewing because my twin, Donna, was buying Vogue magazine and looking at it, and I was sitting next to her and turning the pages too. So I was getting sort of... Yeah, indoctrinated. Indoctrinated then. And then when I was, <clears throat> I guess when I was like 15, um, we would go to Maine every summer to a town called Agunquit, okay. and which is about an hour and a half from where we lived. And it's a, a really interesting artist community, beach town, and um, lots of interesting people, lots of artists, lots of gay people as well, and lots of French Canadians as well as gay French Canadians would go to this particular town. Yeah. So one that summer, um, we were going every summer, and that summer uh, I wanted to get a job um, in the town, and I got a job as a dishwasher. So I lived there for a whole summer in a rooming house, and one of the people in the rooming house... Feels like a movie, by the way. It was like a movie. <laughs> it was called The Grenadier, and it was like this, you know, plywood fire trap with like, you know, 60 kids living in it, and it probably should only have no more than 20. And two of the people living there were this girl and her boyfriend from Philadelphia. And she was a waitress in a restaurant. And she was very glamorous. And we would all go to parties together at the end of the night after work. And I would go to her room and she would be getting dressed up and she had all these clothes. And I'd never seen anything quite like it except in magazines. Yeah. Turned out that her mother was um, an heiress from the, I guess, from Philadelphia's main line. And she was raiding her mother's closet and had suitcases full of these clothes. I was going to say, where the hell are all these fancy clothes coming from? Some girl that works with you, yeah. Yeah, from her mother's closet. Okay. And, uh, and it was all Halston and Giorgio San Angelo and um, everything had a, had, a, had a name. Yeah. And I'd never seen it before. And it was so glamorous. And she was so incredibly glamorous. Um, I really was fascinated. And I 
became close friends with her, and she and I sort of took this little journey together that ended me, ended with me, in the getting world. into this business. Yeah, yeah. Is she in the, was she in the fashion world as well? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. She was a, a fortunate consumer. <laughs> so, Very fortunate consumer. Is, is that the term? Is that the industry term? <laughs> oh, that's, for people with money. That's, yeah. Well, that's just a discreet way of putting it for her. She was really rich. I mean, there there is an element of all of that in fashion, right? Where it's 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 a it's a stratification, societal, yeah, uh, you know, um, it's a luxury business. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my end of it was the luxury business. Absolutely right, and I mean, and there's very little. Do you think that that is is why people even today they want to buy the bag that has some label on it? Because they can't really even afford that label, but you know they, they they'll, they'll save up to buy a two thousand dollar handbag. Sure, that they really shouldn't be buying. Right, when they could buy a really nice two hundred fifty dollar bag that would probably be better made maybe than the two thousand dollar one if it's not a really high end two thousand dollar right. one. You know what I mean? But they won't be buying into um, an idea, a fantasy, or a fantasy, yeah, or a dream of associating with this lifestyle unless yeah. they. Buy the high ticket item. Yeah. And that's what they do. I mean, that's how the high end survives because all these people who have really nothing to do with it and and no chance of ever living that sort of life buy into it by, you know, the the bags, the the makeup, the sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah, They're buying the dream. And I mean, and and can we go a little historical for a minute there? Because this is where my knowledge is zip. There are there are big fashion houses in France and Italy. Is that the way yes. it works in Paris and what Milan, that kind of thing? Yeah, in Rome. Who traditionally, th- this was like a family thing that got passed down originally. How did that all that work? Well, houses were started by designers, creators, and they were they really only existed for the duration of the designer's life. Okay, and then when that designer died. Um, that Somebody was the else of the would house. Have, yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, it was rarely taken over by someone else and continued. Generally, the you know generally that would be the beginning and the end. Yeah. And uh, so the legendary houses and the, and the houses that began the whole business of haute couture and and pret a porter, which is handmade clothes, mm-hmm. the haute couture and pret a porter, the ready to wear clothes, machine made yep. clothes, all of that started in Europe basically, and right. was kind of um, developed and, and improved upon in America, but all that started there. Right. And a lot of those houses, some of those houses are still around. Yeah. Be- like Ch- Chanel right, is of a course. perfect example, yeah. but many of them. Now, is that because things changed and they realized that this was a brand that we should continue even if the originator has gone? No, what changed is that um, at a certain point, uh, luxury conglomerates were formed. LVMH, Louis Vuitton, right, Moet right. Hennessy being the first yeah. one. And they were... The head of whom me, is now the second richest person in the world. Yeah, Bernard Arnault. As of the other day, yeah. Okay, and the, and the richest person, I'm not sure, but Bernard started that. Jeff Bezos, but yeah. And, oh, it's Jeff Bezos, <laughs> yeah. of course. So um, he started buying up these dead or dying houses and realize that they could be cash cows as far as perfumes and accessories and stuff. Right. And so then just put designers the in place and used the name, which was the beginning of branding. 
right. and uh, created a whole new way of doing it. When business. did that all happen? That was really, um, I guess you'd have to say it was like 80s, okay. early, yeah. early 80s. You didn't really see or feel it in an intense way until, say, 90, 91. Right. Then you had LVMH, you had the Gucci Group, you had then um, uh, PPR, the, the other rival conglomerate in Paris, um, um, Pinot. Yeah, um, who owns Stell McCartney and all these other, and the two Arno and Pinot fight between the two of them. But right. they realize all these houses uh, were were cash cows as far as brands, and so they stopped being design houses where fashion was being created, and started becoming really luxury yeah. item factories. And because of the, it, it, the origins of these places, they were probably catering to the one percent, literally the one percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Where now it's like, well, maybe we can cater to the thirty-five percent, mm-hmm. and we'll make a lot more money. Oh yeah, you know. And, but 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 it waters down the whole point of what it was. It's weird because like it's it's not that it was good that there was only one percent who could afford these clothes, right? But if this stuff was actually made better and it was designed better and there was actually value and craft to it all, then it is a pity that you it's can gone. understand. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you could understand the, the the value of it. I mean, it may not be important in you know, the course of your life or your day, but you could see the value of it. I mean, yeah. there was quality connected to the product. It was beautifully made. The fabrics were beautiful. The people who did the the tailors and the sewers and all, I mean, they were the best in their craft. Everything yeah. was the finest that it could be. Yeah. And there is something to be, you know, that's something to respect. Is anything made on that level? Is, st- is there still oh, yeah. stuff made? Okay, there is. Yeah. And the same people who would buy it back then still buy it now. Yes, and there's a new, there's a new, whole new crops of people to do yeah, that. I mean, with much more money than back then. Yeah, isn't it crazy? Yeah, I mean, the wealth disparities it's, just exploded. Yeah, it's it's smaller but bigger and yeah. stronger than it was. So when you got into this in the mm. late '70s, early '80s, this was sort of like the the end of the old world and the beginning of the new. Exactly. Was so, totally the. I, I've always thought it was the end of a golden age. What was that like being in there? I mean, you didn't know any different, obviously. No, I didn't realize it was even ending. Right. Um, That was the strange thing. I mean, because we, the wave that I was in, I was, um, I guess, part of this group called the Young Designers in Mm -hmm. New York, which was something that happened in the middle 80s. And all it was really were a group of designers like me who were all starting out in business, but because we were not established and we tended to be younger than the establishment. Right. And some of them, not by many years, we were known as the young designers. So that wave was um, really important and sort of the last wave to come through before the whole system really changed because my career spanned at about 28, 29 years. So when I finished, say, nine, 10 years ago, the system was really different yeah so my class in a way was the last class yeah so if you if you find your way now you trained in paris Mm -hmm. correct Mm -hmm. how does that work how does how do you get started in this world well you can get started a million different ways um i mean certainly now you can get started a million different ways but then you could then then i think it was easier to start a million different ways now it's there are fewer than a million different ways oh interesting okay yeah it's harder but um 
Yeah, when I finished college, um, I won a fellowship like a um, sort of like a Fulbright or a Rhodes Scholarship, but it was a Watson Fellowship, and it was non-academic, meaning you couldn't go to a university and and um, perform your uh, proposal. You were there to get hands-on. Yeah, this was you had to go into the field. Yep. To do whatever you wanted to do, so I went to I wrote to all these designers in Paris and in Italy because it needed to be outside the United States. And so the only designer who answered was Givenchy out of about 10 designers that I wrote to. And so he uh, invited me to come and meet Pretty him. Pretty good one to say yes. Yeah, really good one to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Really good one. Did, did, they, did they know that they were the only person to like no. answer directly? <laughs> There's also this thing where you're like, well, I've got a lot of competition. Yeah, really, so really. Yeah, I said I have to see, make me? <laughs> see what, kind of, what kind of time I have to, to fit you in and try and, you know, yeah. say a few words, but... No, he, he was just, I got a telegram one day. It, I had already graduated. I already had the fellowship. I just didn't have any place to go yet. Yeah. So I'm at home hanging out with friends, and I get a telegram. And Back when there were telegrams. When there were telegrams, and I would never gotten a telegram. Yeah. And there's this telegram, and it's so thin and fine yeah. that I, you know I'm afraid I'm going to destroy it just trying to open it. And I open it, and it's a letter from him saying he'll be in New York at his suite at the Carlisle on such and such a date. Can I As come? one does, right? Yes. When, when one comes to New York from Paris, <laughs> one goes to their suite at the Carlisle. And so he said, can you meet me at such and such a day and time? And uh, so I said, of course. And I guess it was about four days, five days later. And I took a train from Boston to New York and went straight to the Carlisle and had my interview in his suite. And he invited me to come to Paris that day and asked that I be there the following week. Now, getting that telegram and then also... Wasn't that <clears throat> yes. quick and short and simple, but I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what but, happened but in that, a couple hours. And meeting with the man, yeah, that must have been almost surreal. Very. Right. I mean, do you look at it now and go, wow, what a strange moment in my life where, yeah. you know, like I, I wish I could have recorded that hour sitting with him for whatever it was. Well, I pretty much did. I remember. You remember everything? everything. What kind of stuff did he ask you? Oh, he asked me questions. Um, you know, it's funny. The questions he asked me, I don't remember them very well. Yeah. But him, uh, the man and the, the room and the art and everything. He had on a, a very beautiful tailored dress shirt without a tie, I guess, and very elegant slacks. Yeah. And these beautiful shoes. And he's like six seven. Yeah. So when he came to the, he came Big to guy. the door and opened the door, I was looking straight ahead. So looking I at his chest. Looking straight at his chest and yeah. had to look up to see the man. And so he's a giant. And he had these amazing, elegant shoes on these enormous feet, but just like this giant who moved like just like uh, like a dancer i mean just yeah. so smooth so elegant so anyway i guess he asked me questions like uh why was i interested in fashion and what was it about it that i that fascinated me and i guess all i could really say was that it was a dream that i always felt like um it was a dream world that was meant for me to participate in and I always, always, you know, I had no huge point of reference, but I said, you know, I really admired what he did in films and loved the clothes on Audrey Hepburn, and I just felt like he was the person that I wanted to learn from. Yeah. 
and he looked at my sketches and I had all these sketches that he, he said, you know, you have interesting sketches. He says, I can tell by them that you have absolutely no idea about construction. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, like who thinks about how you get into stuff, buttons and zippers and stuff yeah. like that. At that time, you're sort of more interested in an idea, yeah, yeah, a yeah, fantasy, yeah. not anything practical. It's almost like it, it's, it's something for later in the discussion, I guess we can tip on it now and come back, but the whole idea of like form versus function, you know, it mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of like Gary buildings, right? Where it's like, well, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is actually that useful of a building, even if it is an interesting structural, like almost sculptural shape. Yeah. There is the same kind of thing in fashion where something can be beautiful, but completely non-functional. Yeah. You he know? was very, you know, he was an artist and, and very creative and very fanciful in a way, but, also really practical. Yeah. And when you see those clothes, there is something very straightforward about them. It, they're not tricky. Yeah. They're just incredibly romantic and beautiful right. and elegant. Yeah. I mean, in, in the drawings you're doing at that level, I mean, are you, tr- as a young person, yeah. are you trying to find something new to, to yeah. change the world, to push, of to, course. push, the, push the limits? Yeah. You're not yeah. trying to take what is there and refine it and find a... Like, you know, the best version of what exists. It's, no. It's, it's trying to push it in somewhere new. Yeah. It w- I think what you just said, you know, find something, refine it, and, and make it better. That's what I, I think if you're a good designer, that's what you become. That's what yeah. I became. But um, do you need the initial... But initially, I wasn't smart of, enough of to know that. I think, I think if you are clever enough to know that in the beginning, you move faster. Really? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm wondering if the, if the industry... So the industry doesn't like change or industry does like change? The industry says that it wants change, but it doesn't like change because the customer isn't ready for it. And it's right. all about the customer and the bottom line. Right. Ultimately, ultimately it's a consumer goods yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. They want something vivid. They want yeah. something exciting. But ultimately, it needs to be something they can sell. But in the beginning... You think that you're reinventing, you know, a collar that no one has ever seen, a yeah. sleeve no one has ever the collar's seen. Collar's been seen. So, yeah, yeah, it's all been seen. It's, you know, it's funny whenever I see um, uh, fashion photographers, and I'm not a fashion photographer mm-hmm. at all, but I'll look at fashion photographers' work, and you can tell it's like, well, you've never seen Cecil Beaton or something. Like it's just like this has been done, and it was done a hundred years ago, you're and a hundred times better, ex- arguably. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, and it's sort of like, wow, you really need to go look at your history because. Yeah. And it's that's to me, there. it's what is so appalling, appalling now is that um, no one really knows or cares about history, yeah. the history of, of fashion. They they think you and that, I sound like old men right now. I know, and it's embarrassing, <laughs> and I don't like to I don't like to say that because it makes me sound like you know like an old man or but it's true, right? Bitter old shit who's you know not working and and can only criticize what's happening. But it's very true. I mean, you need. You need to have that understanding of history. You need to have a point of reference to see where you are in the in the larger scheme. You have not reinvented the wheel. You have not created something. Yeah. Rarely. Yeah. You know. Do totally sometimes new. people show up and you go, "Wow, I've never seen anything like that before." Yeah. Sure. Is it usually crap or is it usually, does it sometimes something where you go, wow, that's really something Oh, sometimes special. it's really beautiful and really yeah. special yeah. and really outstanding. But a lot of times it's just um, labored and strange. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, so let's go back to to you and you and uh, learning. Yeah. Uh, did you feel like you your first day on the job over there was that oh, terrifying? A little bit, but um, it was too. It was just too bizarre to be because yeah. you're all in Paris, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. From yeah. like one day to the next, one day Groton, Massachusetts, in my bedroom that I've grown up in since I was ten, and then the next minute I'm sitting. At a card table because they didn't have room for an extra desk for me because the studio was sort of full. But I, as a result, I had the best seat in the house. They set up a card table between the the assistants' room and right in the doorway of um, Givenchy's room. So I literally sat about nine feet away from him, whereas the assistants were all in a separate room yeah. through doorways. But I could literally sit there and watch him sketch. I could watch him do all of his fittings on the model. I saw him do everything. And that, and that, and and Every he day. actually was doing it. You know what I mean? Where yeah. I feel like a lot of people probably who yeah. are in fashion now are doing a lot more being brand ambassadors than oh, they yeah. are actually making yeah, they're, making art. Right. They're not. They're and, too busy. And it was just you. It wasn't you and six other people. No. Which is crazy. Like nowadays, no. I feel like if some sort of internship kind of thing like that. Yeah. It would end up being a team of people, and then there'd be rivalries between you guys. Of course, and, and you would be on some floor, 16 floors away from where the yeah. action was. Maybe you'd meet the man twice in the rest of the summer. Maybe. Yeah. More likely you'd see them. You wouldn't yeah, meet yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was sitting there, and he would ask me to come over and take a look at something that he was doing so I could see how it was done, you know? Yeah. Or he would ask me at different times, he would be draping from a bolt of fabric with his his assistant for that particular area, his number, his premier tailor or the woman who did the draped evening gowns, whatever he would be working with them. And he would ask me to come over, which means get up from my table, walk about five steps and take a look and see how they're draping this part of the dress or how they're fitting this part of the suit or the jacket, whatever. And you want to do it like this because this reason, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. He wouldn't necessarily say you want to, because he would just say, watch. Oh, interesting. And you could just tell by watching. Yeah. You, you would see that they were taking pins out of something and putting the pins back in and they had corrected it when they'd done that. Yeah. And you saw the difference between the before and the after. After. Yeah. It was crazy. That must've been unreal. So I mean, Every day for about seven hours, eight hours, my eye was being informed by yeah. a, an absolute. And you genius. knew it. You weren't some. You oh, were I sitting there all cocky, being like, "Well, huh, what am I sitting here?" There were no here? smartphones. Okay, and you had nothing else to so do. There was nothing to distract <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, you know, there were no computers. Yeah, there was no distraction. So you were either paying attention, or you were, you know sticking your hand up your nose. God, that's so cool. It was amazing. Yeah. So the very first day, I'm sitting there, and I hear um, a big door open and close and sort of a chatter, you know, sort of chatter of women, and because all the assistants are men. Yeah. And three women come in, and they pass by me right into his room, and they're all beautiful and like Amazons, in robes, but with hair done, full makeup, high heels, the works. And so they're there for fittings. And one, the the ladies from upstairs who are doing the clothes, they come down, but everything they're putting on them are things that just look like white cotton. 
it's no particular print or color or fabric. Yeah, yeah. So they put these dresses on them. They take off the robes. They're absolutely naked, stark yeah. naked. And gorgeous, I'm and sure. absolutely yeah. perfect. Like mannequins. Perfect. Yeah. All they're wearing are pantyhose, heels, and makeup. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah. And they put these dresses on, and these dresses are just so perfect. Yeah. And they're standing, and they're turning, and they're posing, and they're walking, and they're turning back. And I'm just, first time I've ever seen this, and I'm just absolutely transfixed. And it is happening four feet away from me. And my mouth is just hanging open. Oh, it's so amazing. And I'm thinking, these are the most beautiful white dresses I'll probably ever see in my life. Yeah. Only to find out after, those were the dummy dresses. Yeah. So the, those were just the prototypes yeah, made yeah. up in... Just trying to get the shape right. Just to get huh? the shape and the fit and everything right yeah. before they cut it in the real cloth. And I thought I was seeing masterpieces. I was seeing masterpieces in Ultimately, I mean, as much as the fabric and patterns and color and all that stuff is an element of it, if the shape's not there, you got nothing. You got nothing. If the fit isn't there, you got nothing. If the proportions don't make some sort of sense, you've got nothing. And that's That's 80% of it right there. Right, and nobody knows that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody gives a shit about that anymore. They start with the patterns and the color and the whatever. They just start with... They may go to some very expensive vintage shop and buy, you know, a Saint Laurent from 1970-something or buy a Valentino from 1980-something and just bring the thing into the studio and say, I want this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then let's just distort it. Let's, you know, let's yeah. fuck it Change up. Change it a little bit. bit so we don't get sued or whatever. <laughs> not that they care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about creation. And, and so that's how I learned. Man, that is amazing. Okay, so you, you do all that. How long are you yeah. over there? For almost a year. Okay, and then you come back. Yeah. And where do you start after that? I mean, do you try to get somebody to hire you? Do you yeah, try- I went around to get interviews at design houses and tell them where I came from, which was from Paris, from Givenchy. And I got, you know, everyone was curious to hear. Well, I read in an interview too with you saying that like even being black was a double-edged sword yeah. because obviously there's racism. There's like a lot of white people in fashion, but there's also an interest of like, oh, who's this kid? Let's at least talk to him to see what his deal is. Yeah, I think the only reason really they were interested to talk to me was because of the Paris thing that was so unusual interesting okay nobody yeah. really had that that card to play okay I and mean, that was a very rare card to play yeah. they took you in because they were like oh he's got he's got really good he must have he must have some stories he must have something yeah some stories oh you think that it, th- i think that's what it was there's a little element of oh we want the inside well track. yeah i mean maybe he's got maybe he's got some you know a good portfolio maybe yeah. he's actually got something worth looking at but if if nothing else at least we can get some interesting yeah. gossip about yeah. Paris. He knows how the master makes stuff, so like maybe we like this, this could be useful for us. I yeah, I would have hoped maybe they might think like that. I don't even think they gave it that much thought. <laughs> it yeah. was so yeah, you know. So I I kind of I was in the swamp. Now did you when I got back? Did your style change over that year? Yeah. Did you mold into his? Yeah, that's that's an interesting um, that's an interesting thing. That is. That is got to uh, happen even unconsciously, right? Yeah, totally. And I don't even know. I think a lot of it is even conscious because you're so young and you're so impressionable, and you are. You realize. I realized I was in a very rare and, and special situation. I felt like I needed to 
assimilate to it as best I, I as I possibly could because of course my fantasy was I'm I'm here I don't want to go home right. I want to stay you know hire right, me right, right, right. let me be an apprentice like I I arrived yeah and hire was me there as no an talk assistant of that? at the very end there was but that wasn't uh, really a possibility for yeah. a few reasons okay but yeah I sort of I came over in uh, in one sort of speaking one sort of language and then I came back. Um, aesthetically yeah. speaking, a different one. Was it a, was it a European American yeah, distinction? It, yeah, yeah. It was a French versus okay. uh, New York. Yeah, thing. Yeah, and what? what and it, they're very different. Yeah. Well, g- give me. Can you give me the the Cliff Notes version of how they're different? As somebody who doesn't know. Okay, so if you could imagine, um, in those days, really the king of of fashion in New York would have been, say, Halston was on his way out, and yeah. Calvin was king. Okay, sure. So Calvin Klein was the ultimate in absolute ease and just nothing fussy, just yeah. like, you know, nothing fitted, everything loose yep. and comfortable. Yeah. And then imagine the most tailored, uptight, kind of sure. fitted yeah. Yeah. suit, fitted dress, gown, everything just like up. Yeah. And the Calvin Klein stuff, I mean, defined the whole eighties kind yeah. of feel, especially like, I mean, if you think yeah, that 80s, was modernity, I mean, exactly. Yes. Total modernity. Was there, I mean, was there, there's an element of that too, where it's like, Oh, you knew people over in America. You don't understand. Like we have traditions and like you guys are breaking them and how dare you? Was there a yeah. little bit of that? Well, what was also, there were people who were breaking up the, the status quo there at the same time. That would have been Claude Montana okay. and Terry Mugler. So they were, the extremists, they were like distorting proportions, huge shoulders, super tiny waist. Yeah. Everything was getting distorted. We were doing sort of the opposite. We were becoming like super quaaluded out and just, yeah. it, it was just like, you know, a harem versus, um, you know, uh, a bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... It was it you're was difficult between the two in some way. Yeah, and I came back and I thought I'd kind of learned that language and I learned how to to sketch in in a nice, you know, pretty uptight way, and came back and of course everything was a totally different deal here. Yeah, yeah. So I had to let go of that and figure out my own thing. Right, and that takes time. Yeah, and I mean, and you had you had your own house for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Is that a matter of just having good work, or is that a matter of finding investors to get it started? Or I mean, how does how does that work? You know what I mean? Well, for me, I couldn't find an investor. No one wanted to give me any money. Is that traditionally how people do it? Like, I need somebody to give me ten million bucks so I can get up and running. In a in a ideal ideal world? situation, yeah, sure, yeah. And when you have, you know, the right sorts of friends and connections, then that's what you get. Um, and many people have done it that way. And it's, I mean, that's, I mean, can, talk about connections. I mean, there's, there's that in every business. Yeah. But I'd imagine in fashion, it's probably one of the most ridiculously exclusive when it comes to that. Like in the sense that if you know the right person, you're gold. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even in the opinions of other people, because the right tastemaker can say that your stuff is good. Oh, yes. Even if your stuff isn't very good and people believe it because yeah. Joe Schmo or Ann Schmo said so. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Oh, that's so weird. That's the game. Yeah. Well, see, it's funny. So if you're not in that game, if you don't look like that player, yeah. um, you need to sort of be white. 
Yeah. That helps. Sure. Um, so if you don't look like that and if you're not sort of connected to that, you don't really have that great a shot at it. So my only option really was the old-fashioned way. I had to I had to be good. Yeah. I had to create clothes that were beautiful that people wanted to buy, yeah, people yeah, yeah. wanted to wear. Yeah. It wasn't about me. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pitch me because no one gave a shit. Yeah. And it was so weird that in the beginning when I started to have success and I started to sell in great stores like Bergdorf Goodman, I actually heard from salespeople that people couldn't connect the clothes to me, a black designer. Well, these couldn't possibly be from a black designer. Exactly. How really? could he? How could he have taste that I could relate to, or that I would aspire? Is to? that just ridiculous '80s racism? What Ab- is that? It's not even '80s racism. That I mean, sort I'm, of I'm shit sure is now. Of course, yeah. yeah that yeah. is. I that is back. sure. Yeah. That is the nature of racism in fashion, for instance. Yeah, and that's still a thing in fashion. Oh yeah. It's see that kind of stuff just kind of blows my mind. And how does, I mean, uh, distribution and stuff. So you, I mean, yeah. you started making your own stuff. How do you get them made? How do you know how many to make? How do you get distribution well, in stores? A, yeah, you know, that's like all a, of that stuff. That's all long and complicated. So I, I eventually get a job as an assistant designer and I okay. get a series of jobs as an assistant, assistant designer, but I can never get a job as a designer. Right. Whenever the position is open, they always choose someone else. Yeah. I could never get out of assistant design yeah. hell. Yeah. So, but as an assistant, the great thing about that is you do a ton of grunt work. So you're back and forth to factories for yep. the companies you work for, to suppliers, to the fabric people, the button people, yeah. everybody. You get to learn time, who that everybody still domestic is. Or inter- like- well, fabrics were coming from Europe yep. um, for a lot of these companies because they were higher-end companies that I worked with. But the actual contractors who were doing the making, all of that was in, in New York City around the corner. Right. They Which were is not, not making- anymore. Right. Very few. Still there, a few, but yeah. for the most part, that has been outsourced. Outsourced. Okay. So if when you get to know where everything is and how that stuff is done. Yeah. Um, you know, you got to call then, Manny to get you, this thing done. Yeah, so yeah, sure. when, it's, when it's your turn to start doing stuff, you know where to go and they know you because you're the person that they've been right. dealing with. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to start doing this. Can you help me out? Like, and they're, yeah. they're kind. Yeah, of course. They're kind. They, they, you know, that's where you get support. Especially, funny, you don't get support from a bank. You don't get support necessarily from a store or yeah. a buyer or your old boss or the press or your boss. Yeah. You get support from the worker bees. Yep. Who are yeah. just like you, who you've who had want, respect for for the last yeah. ten years, and sure. they support you because they want you to succeed. They know how hard it is. Yeah. That's where you get help. Yeah. Which is really pretty interesting. So it really pays to appreciate the people that you, you know, toil with yep. and not to be a dick to them yeah. because when it's your turn, they can either help you or they can really yeah. screw you. I mean, it's interesting. The racism is an interesting angle, but at the same time, every single person you've also mentioned right now is a man. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the fashion industry, there's a huge uh, gender thing too in designers, or at least there was back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it still that way? It's less so, but it's well, funny when you, you know. about like men designing dresses for women as opposed to women designing dresses for women? That's an interesting, what, you know, how did I that end I don't know. Up? It was always sort of considered, in a way, slightly quaint. 
when a woman designed for women. Really? Yeah, I mean, Donna Karen, in a way, was, is, was really an anomaly to become so powerful. Yes, there were female designers before her that were very well-known, Claire yeah. McArdle and Anne Klein, the, the actual Anne Klein, and, you know, many, many, um, many uh, female designers. But Donna Karen was probably the first really big powerhouse. It was a man's world. Yeah. And I think that women actually, many women felt that they would be better served by a man than by a woman because a man would design for them in a way that would make them more attractive to men, whereas they sometimes feel that a woman would be competitive in a way and somehow undermine them as opposed to support them. That's crazy. Which is weird. Yeah, totally weird. But there was that, I mean, there is that belief to some degree out there. You know, Mean Girls isn't something that is just a movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, but there's so there is a certain advantage in even being a man trying to get into that world. Definitely. I mean, it was definitely an advantage for me. So fascinating. You know, when you when you could get past the fact that they when they could get past the fact that you were a black man that they didn't have to be afraid of. Yeah. um, it was a fantastic relationship that I had with, with my clients. Yeah. My one-on-one relationship was, right. you know, it was good with, with stores, but with Mac, the actual clients was just absolute magic. Yeah. Now, the, 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 the shows that they do and the mm-hmm. fashion weeks here and there and everywhere yeah. and the seasonal thing, has that always been or is that a more recent invention? Did, did, the, did the designers in the 50s and the 60s come out with a whole new thing every three months? Uh, no, they only had to do it. Really, like twice a year. Twice a year, no more than has it gotten three. has it gotten yeah. crazier, right? Yeah, because much crazier. Consumerism, they just want to sell more stuff. Yeah, and maybe we change it. Maybe we change it just a little bit. Yeah, but, but it, for the sake of press and the you know social media and the internet and everything, we've yeah. just got to churn, churn, churn because it's not about a monthly magazine now; it's a daily magazine. Yeah, which is even crazier. Yeah, so right. they need product. Which says a lot about what you're seeing. I mean, when you've got to pump it out faster than you can actually conceive of it, yeah, yeah, you know what's coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where do you the way that trends work in clothing? Do you think that that is that it really comes top down, or do you think it's that somebody in the design world notices something small that's actually in the world already and kind of amplifies it? And then it goes back in a circle, like sort of a cycle kind of yeah. thing. Um, something like Mostly that. Mostly like that. Yeah. Because people are lazy. <laughs> They're walking to work. They're trying to find an idea. Hey, that woman had that crazy purple scarf on. Let's uh, do something. I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, God, it's so, it's like, it, it, there's, a, there's an interesting thing. Like, I am very much, my father used to have a saying, you know, buy the best, you'll never be sorry. Uh-huh. You know, and... To a certain extent, you know, I have a I have a nice camera. This recorder we're recording yes. on is a very expensive recorder, and it's yes. great, and it'll do what it does for the next five years yeah. flawlessly, you know. I really believe in that. Yeah. It almost feels harder and harder to do nowadays because you don't know. It used to be maybe that a certain brand stuff was a certain level of quality. Yeah. And now you don't know necessarily. Well, there's so many things out there competing, and there's so many things competing 
as copycats. Sure. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. so um, it still isn't that hard to figure out. It just takes a little bit of time to actually look at it. Um, but it's harder. If you know what you're looking for. If you know what you're looking for. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a lot of times you can't actually touch the thing. You just have to... You're seeing it in sure, a picture, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. on Order the screen, whatever, yeah, yeah. and you're taking your chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, or the fast fashion world. I mean, the whole idea, yeah. I mean, it really does kill you, though. I mean, think about how much stuff gets bought, worn for a few months, yeah. and trashed. Yeah. That just goes into landfills and stuff. You know what I mean? It's tragic. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's like a real problem. It's one of the things that, from, from, a, from a gut level bothers me about the fashion world is that it's inherently wasteful. Yeah. It feels inherently wasteful. Am I wrong about that? Or is, I mean, I'm, I, I know that. Well, it's so wasteful now because the, it is so easily readily available for so little, for so many. Yeah. That it's just, there's mountains of it out there. Yeah. You used to buy two pairs of pants a year, but they were really good pants yeah. and they would last for They'd years. Last. Yeah. Um, the, nothing was there. I mean, in my life, my world, in my family, um, because of our, you know, economic um, status, it was never about impulse shopping. That didn't exist. Yep. There was, you went shopping for school. Yep. You know? You bought two pairs of jeans and you bought some you know, odds or whatever. And you got something <laughs> yeah. for Easter, you know? Um, yeah. And you got something in the summer after school yeah. for vacation. Yeah. But that was it. Yeah. It was not like we're going to the mall. Yeah, yeah. Or even worse, I need something to wear to this party tomorrow night. I don't really care. I just need to wear it once. Yeah. Like, For, what are you doing? Yeah. No. Just, that just wasteful. Did not exist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I bought I bought this pair of Alan Edmund shoes that uh-huh. I bought for my wedding. Uh huh. They're very nice shoes. You know, they cost you know four hundred dollars or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. If I take care of them, they will last for twenty years. If I resold them and take they care will. of them. You know, and it's like there's they something will. really nice about that idea. Yeah. And do you think that we're going to ultimately go back to that? Do you think that the sort of the, uh, uh, you know, handmade this, that, and the other stuff, sort of Brooklyn hipster angle is... It's going to affect this, yeah. the, the pendulum swing yeah. I mean, somehow? Even when you, and, you were showing me around your new apartment here, and we were looking through the closets, and I asked you if you get a pull on a sweater or something like that, yeah. something you really like, you said, yeah, but I keep it, and I try to repair it, and I'll try to do whatever it is. I mean, yeah. a lot of people would just like, oh, I ruined the sweater. I'm going to throw it on and get a new one or whatever. Yeah. Um, My thing is, is, is refining what I have. Yes. I haven't changed, you know, what I, the way I dress really hasn't changed very much in the last 20 some odd years. The only thing that's different is the, the quality of the stuff is better than it was. Because you're buying better stuff or because better stuff is available? Because I'm buying better stuff. Got it. Okay. Because yeah. I've always wanted the best of whatever it is that I, I yeah. like. Yeah. So, you know, I was walking behind a man. It's funny you say you're, you're Alan Edmonds. I was walking behind a man yesterday who had on a pair of Alden Cordovan loafers that I had had a pair of in yeah. 1983. Like the two American shoe brands that are still around. And that was the most, for me, when I got that pair of loafers, they were my absolute treasure. Yeah. I wore the soles out three times. Yeah. I loved those shoes yeah. and I saw so even him. So they cost $400 or $400. And now they cost fucking $700. <clears throat> yeah. The same shoe. Yeah, the Alden prices have gone crazy the last couple of years. But I swear, I saw them on his feet yesterday and I thought, 
I'm going to go buy a pair I of those. I got to get them. I got to get them again. <laughs> because I know now, you know, at you this know age, last the rest of your life. I got them for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'll never, I won't have to resole them. Yeah. And I'll never have to replace them. So yeah. now is the best time. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. It's a good time to buy them. You can amortize at 700 over the next like 30 yeah. years. Yeah. That's not so bad. Yeah. Now the, you know I you know I I would for for years I used to buy Doc Martens back in the eighties yeah. you know what I mean like yeah. back when it was like the one yeah. place in England that made them you know and then of course they sold to probably they sold to some big conglomerate they started making everything in Vietnam and distribution and, was exactly. like everywhere yeah, yeah 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 quality drops like a stone yeah and then apparently a few years ago they started making two of them the regular boots and the regular like three eyelet shoes. Back in the same factory in England. Yeah. And they cost, you know, $160 or whatever it is, but like you're getting the real thing. The real thing. And I, you buy those, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But like it feels sometimes like I, it's the fabrics. Be, why is it inherently so? Or is it just economics that they're using cheaper fabrics? They're, you know what I mean? People it's will say, only oh, it's made economics. in Bangladesh, so it's crappy. It's like, no, the people in Bangladesh can probably make really great clothes. Of course. They're, 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 whatever you give giving, them, they can make. Exactly. So these people are choosing to give them Shit. shitty fabrics because that'll save them money in the long run. Of course. Yeah. It just seems short-sighted. Wouldn't you want to be the brand that makes the stuff that's really good and maybe doesn't you sell more that way? That's what I would think. Yeah. But that isn't the way it is. So like you go to Zara or H&M yeah. or Forever 21, whatever. Zara guy is also one of the richest guys in the world. Yeah. Which I really don't understand. Like, that's crazy. I can't wear any of that stuff. My calves are too big. So that is exactly my point. You put on a shirt, say a long sleeve shirt. Yeah. And maybe the body is sort of okay, even though it really is too tight. I don't care what, whatever size you're supposed to be, it's going to be a little tight. Yeah. But you put your arm through the sleeve and you might as well be putting on, you know, uh, like, uh, like tights. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's no room in the sleeve to yeah. bend your arm. And the only reason for that is they've made the patterns so small, so tight, so that they can fit them in the best possible way and get the maximum amount of yardage out of that piece. Oh, is that really how that works? Yeah. Yeah. So instead of giving you a quarter of an inch more so that you can actually bend your arm, you don't. Right. So it's just tight. Yeah. And you can't wear their pants because they didn't give you enough for your calf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave you an extra inch. Yeah. You know? I mean, clothing. It's stupid. Clothing sizing is an interesting thing because, like, I am not an overweight fellow. Yeah. But totally. I have wide shoulders. I don't have a gut. If I buy stuff big enough for my shoulders, it's like a tent on me. Yeah. I got to get it taken in. Yeah. I do have big calves, so I can't even fit my leg. Anything that's skinny, anything, I can't wear any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, there are people out there. I mean, I have some of my dancer friends. They can literally wear a burlap sack and look good. Yeah. Just because they're built that way. But the average person is not going to go get stuff tailored. No. Maybe they should buy good stuff and get it tailored. But because they but even bad, bad stuff. <clears throat> even <throat> bad stuff. Yeah. That's, t- for, to me, that is the bottom line in fashion. Let's not even call it fashion. Sure. Bottom line in, in clothing the world. <laughs> yeah. on people. The whole point of clothing on people is so that we can go out into the world and do what we have to do. And we want to sort of look our best some of us want to look our best doing it. And that was the philosophy of your designs in the first place when you started yeah. your theft, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for any designer in a way. But what nobody understands is that almost nothing fits anybody. Off the box. Out of the box. Yeah. 
And so you have to mess around with it. You have to try it on in the store. You have to go get the pants shortened. You have yeah. to get it taken in. Well, you have to do stuff. Yeah. But if you do that little bit, you look like a million bucks. You can yeah, be yeah, wearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I went to a wedding and I had on a, a suit from Uniqlo. The jacket was 50 bucks and the pants were And you spent bucks. $150 getting it taken in. No. I was I got lucky. <laughs> Okay. The jacket fit, the pants fit. Oh, I had really? the pants hemmed, okay? Um, so it was less than $100 for that suit. And my sneakers were about $200. Yeah. But that suit fit like it was made for me. And I had, I can't tell you how many people came up to me and said, where did you get that suit? Where did you right, get right, that right, suit? Right, right, right. I said it was 100 bucks To keep it? At Uniqlo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Is it's it well only- made? Is it all right? It's okay. Yeah. It's right. okay. Right. But I tried it on tried on enough to figure out one that looked like it yeah. fit. Most people don't have a concept of what fit what fit even means. Even means. Yeah. And to know that, yeah, they're a little long, but it fits up at the waist and in my hips and stuff, so that's what you gotta worry about. We can deal with the length later. Yeah. My my wife bought me a nice Or they think that if they th- if it's tight and they feel it everywhere, that That's, means it that fits. That means it fits. Yeah, which isn't that the case means, at all. Oh my god! You still can't if you can't function in it. Cut them the out point. of it. Cut them out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, my wife bought me a, a Bowden overcoat jacket mm-hmm. that was on sale, like you mm-hmm. know, nice. And I took it to a place that I had a suit done, and for seventy five dollars, they took in the sides, and now it's like perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, she bought a similar coat from another thing, and I said, "You should just take it to the place. I spent seventy five mm-hmm. bucks. Let's get it nice." Her coat, let's say, was $400, but it was like a really, it was a $1,000 coat she got mm-hmm. for 400 bucks. She brought it there, and the changes she had to have made cost 350 bucks. Mm-hmm. Same place. Now, you, then you get into the thing of like, well, now yeah. I spent $800 on a, on a coat that I was hoping to spend $400 on. Yeah. Still probably good in the long run, but tailoring can be expensive sometimes, be I expensive. guess is my point. Yes. You know. And I would be curious to see what that coat was because it sounds like what they had to do was <clears throat> labor, labor intensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But and and not everyone has that kind of money. I mean, you yeah, know. Well, that's the thing. That's the elephant in the room, right? But if if your priorities are to spend your money on clothes, because they're people, that is their priority. Yeah, yeah. If that's your priority, then go the rest of the way and make sure that they fit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't do that. No, it's amazing to me how many people make a lot of money. They're high powered attorneys and whatever it is. And they get these, it's like, Jews, Jesus, man, you make a million dollars a year. Go get the suit that fits. Right. What are you doing? Like, it's not that complicated. Like I, I understand you don't want to go to London and spend 10 grand on a suit. Yeah. I get that. Right. But you could buy a $600 suit, spend $200, get it cleaned up and you'd have a suit. A million bucks. Exactly. And have for a long time. Yeah. They, people don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is it laziness you think, or you think it's like some of it's laziness Lack of education and the 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 belief that something about clothing and fashion and vanity is frivolous and self indulgent. Yeah, yeah, and therefore sinful. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So, so, so there's a moral angle. There's a moral angle to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the flip side is is that when if you do care about that this sort of thing, you do care about your appearance, and you go that extra mile to make sure everything looks good and fits right and stuff it's amazing what it does for people 
you know, yeah. what it does for their self-esteem is yep. what I mean. Sure, sure. And the only reason I know that is because, you know, when I've been the designer, that feedback comes back to me and they, I get stories from, I got stories from customers about, um, not that it was such an important occasion because it was an important occasion, but the way they felt and the yeah. way they were treated and yes. the way that they were literally seen Yes. By the people that matter most to them when they feel like they're not being seen. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't the dress that the they were seeing. Suddenly they were being seen yeah. because of the whole the whole picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um and that makes a that yeah. makes a big difference. I in bet people's you there lives. are designers though for whom they want the fashion to be seen to hell with the person who's wearing oh, yeah, it. Yeah, of course. You're not that person. Well, you know, no, 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 really not. It, the most important thing is that the, that like the person is happy. <laughs> I mean, because if they're not happy, what's the, they're, they're, what's what the point? Doing? What'd you do it for? Yeah. And ultimately, they're going to resent the thing that they got. Yeah, sure. And they'll go somewhere else. Guy, yeah. Yeah. He was a nice guy. You know, he really convinced me. He had me believing, but, you know, he tricked me. He so tricked me. I don't, you know, and. Yeah. Nobody trusts. Yeah. You know how people always say, ah, oh, back in the day, they used to make clothes yeah. so well, whatever. It's a, true. It's true. Okay. <laughs> so my question is, when was the peak of that? Because obviously, if you go back to 1850, where the clothes made oh, better God, than they yeah. were in 1950, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was there, is there a point at which it was sort of the, It was always sort of developing and being refined and developing and being refined until it got to the point where- Because manufacturing and technology got better over time, right? I'm yes. just looking at my list here. Yes. And, but then, um, then the technology took over in the sense that if we let the technology take over, then we can <clears throat> cut out time and we can cut out people and we can cut out this and that and this and that yeah. and this and that. And then suddenly we can make more money and yeah. spend very little. So probably 70s, 80s. Yeah, I'd say like in eighties. In the eighties is yeah. when it sort of shifted because then it was like mass production right. was the thing. But still, also at that time, that was also kind of the apex of um, of of the actual of the craft. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because the old timers from the real glory years, which would world. be the thirties and forties and 50s, they were still alive to pass some of that knowledge on and to benefit designers like, like me back in the 80s. There yeah. were still a few of them left, and they made Oscar De La Renta a king. They made Bill Blass a king. They made um, you know, Carolina Herrera, Jeffrey Bean, um, Donna Karen. Yeah. All, all of the gods hit that, you know, made it to heaven because of those hands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they kind of made a decision in some ways. Now, it, what was it like? Because you were saying when we started that you were looking at the magazine with your twin yeah, and all yeah. that rest of it. Yeah. What was it like when your stuff is in those magazines or on the cover it's or crazy. on the on the on the walk, right? Like reeling. Yeah, right? <laughs> You see some, some famous person <laughs> wearing your dress yeah, on a red carpet. Yeah, it was really I mean, that's cool. Gotta be, that's got to be surreal, too. It was fantastic. You're a made man. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't mean that suddenly I was rich, but it, it meant 
that it made me feel like a star, it made me feel famous because someone who could wear anything from anyone chose to wear yours. Chose to wear mine. Now, whether it was their choice or their stylist or the, the magazine, PR whatever, people, yeah, 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 yeah. whatever, somebody decided that it yeah. was good Your enough. Was the right thing. Was the wear. right thing. So that was very, very satisfying. I mean, the money thing is an interesting idea. If somebody came to you in 1997 or something, right? Yeah. And said, listen, Eric, whatever you're making now, I can 10 times that. Yeah. But we're going to put your label on a bunch of crap. Yeah. That gets sold at Kmart. Yeah. You wouldn't have done it. Would you have done I it? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, it sounds pretty good right it now. It sounds really good right now. Um, no, I don't know that I would have said no. Um, it yeah. would have, you know, it would have Well, a lot of these brands on. end up making sub-brands and that kind of yeah. stuff, right? Like, yeah. oh, this is the crappy brand and yeah, this the is thing, the fancy the, stuff. The, 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 the gravy train that came in uh, during my run was to get a collaboration with Target. That was that was Oh, Target thing. was the big thing. That was the thing. Because there were big people making stuff with Target. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't... It feels like Target in and particular, was, you didn't lose as much credibility as no, with other people. No. Why is that? Uh, because it had such, it has such a strong um, advertising and PR um, machine behind it. Yeah, it is. Um, it's politically correct. Isn't that weird? Yeah, just perception. Just perception. But that is the perception, and and I sort of buy into it. I mean, I'm not really a Target customer, um, not because I. For the simple reason that a lot of what they sell isn't necessarily what I'm looking for, but when I have a need, I go in there and sure. and I find it. But I like the fact that they're so democratic. I like I like their commercials, so yeah. um, they don't turn me off. Yeah, no, no, no I get that. Uh, so when did you start the blog? When what year was that? Okay, that would have been. That would have been like 2001. Okay. And you kept it under covers for eight years? Yeah. Where you're, you're like kind of taking the piss out of a whole bunch of people in the industry from what I've read. Yeah. What was the original idea? What were you up one night late and you're just like ugh, angry about something? And yeah. What was the initial <laughs> thing? What were you pissed about? Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> I remember clearly. Um, Anton and I were, were, it was a Friday night, and we were out at the house in East Hampton, and we had just gotten out there, and we were eating dinner, and Anton kept saying to me, because he was like really very technologically advanced compared to me. He had studied computers in college. He knew everything about compu computers and was like, you know, avidly involved in the internet. And I was really not. So he was aware of blogs and, and things. And um, he kept saying to me, you should write a blog. You should write a blog. And this was when blogs had just right. happened. But I was annoyed by the blogs that I was aware of, and so I didn't want to do something that I thought would associate, you know, that I would be associated with something that I thought was sort of lame. But anyway, he kept saying, you know, you should write a blog because, you know, you have such strong opinions. And, 
And I'm sure you could Did he write. imagine you would write something a little more just positive and, and on brand, as it were? No, he knew that I had a rant. We get snark. He okay. knew I had a okay. rant. And I didn't want, I, I, didn't, I didn't relate to snark. Yeah. But I guess that's what it is. Yeah. Because I, I, I never related to labels to okay. begin with. Fair I know that sounds kind of. From a fashion guy, you don't really. I know that sounds really stupid, doesn't it? But you know, I didn't. I didn't. So, snark wasn't even a word that I thought about. Yeah. I just thought you have an opinion, and sure. it's either a positive one or it's a critical one. And I didn't consider being critical being snarky. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that's. So he, I said, okay, okay, um, but I don't know how to set it up. He said, okay, let's sit down and we'll set it up together. So he set up. The you know the yeah, page the whole go. thing. Here's how you log in? Here's type whatever you want. Yeah, we came up with a name. We came up with um, a character, which was the identity. This hairless cat. Um, and he said all up. He said, "Okay, now write." And I sat there and I wrote my first one, and it came out of me in a matter of moments. Really, just okay. like a wave. Yeah. And it was so much fun and so satisfying. I said, I'm going to do another one. And I sat there, and I think I wrote three that first night. And I woke up the next day, and it was just such a cathartic yeah. thing to like get this out. You didn't wake up the next morning and think, oh, shit, what did I just do? No. Okay. Uh-uh. Because I also didn't have any idea who's ever going to read this. How are they ever going to find this? How did anybody ever find it? I don't know. Oh, I know. (laughs) Okay, so I didn't know anything. And then I started to learn quickly that if you went to other blogs and you left comments. Oh, then they'd And you left your blog name. Yeah. People could click on you and go to your blog and see what you had to say. So I started writing religiously on the New York Times fashion blog. Oh, very smart. And there's another one, uh, a real doggy one called Fashionista that probably still exists. And these, you know, girly blogs, they're talking about the latest obsession and I'm obsessed with this bag and this is bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I started hitting the Times and Fashionista really hard. Smart. And I guess I hit them kind of hard in a snarky way, I guess. Certainly fashionista, I was a total bitch. But it felt so good. Yep. And I knew what I was saying was the truth. I wasn't lying. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that nobody else was, you know, why was everybody like guzzling the Kool-Aid? And it got so bad that fashionista blocked me. Oh, really? Yeah, blocked me. And then you probably got pressed for having been blocked on Fashionista. Yeah. <laughs> this, is like, this is like the origins of all the crap that's going on right now. You were Yeah. There. Yeah. Fucking, t- excuse me. That's all right. Tavi Gevinson, yes. you know, a little gray-haired infant, had started at the same time. And yeah. that was a perfect example of, you know, what I... She was what so cute I, when she was little. Yeah, she was cute um, and very smart and very disciplined. Does her um, taste really good? Um, I don't know enough about I it. I don't know. I mean, it, it's her taste. Yeah, okay, it's fair enough. Taste. Go ahead. But I always found it really a little hard to imagine that, you know, like a 12-year-old had that kind of stamina and um, really her her references were amazing for someone. She knew the history for her 12 She years. knew fucking everything. Yeah. 
Um, I thought, how is that possible? And so I couldn't help but think that, you know, her parents were really instrumental. Were the industry people? No. Okay. No. But I, I, I'm not That doesn't come convinced. out of nowhere. No, I don't yeah. think it comes out of nowhere. And I, and I think they were very clever about keeping her focused and on the right track because yeah. look how well she's done. Yep. Look how well she's done. Yeah. I mean, so well that I almost walked out of the Halston documentary at the Quad <clears throat> Cinema that just, you know, opened a few weeks ago because the, the movie opens with Tavi Gevinson and she's in the middle of it and she's in the end of it for absolutely no reason. <clears throat> yeah, of all the all. people, really her, she's the best person to have in the middle I of mean, it all? seriously? Yeah, she wasn't even alive. Wasn't even alive. <clears throat> yeah. And the worst of it is in the last scene of the movie, She's in this room filled with, you know, beautiful Halston gowns on racks. And she takes one off and dreamily looks at it and then puts it on. And the camera shows from the side a bare, naked Tavi Gevinson. Of course it does. And that's when they had to call security. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you're writing writing your blog. You're doing it for years. Yeah. You're calling people out. Yeah, you're and you're doing your business in parallel to this yeah. the whole time, and no one knows it's me. And no one knows it's you. Were, were there? Were there? Sus- everyone thought I was way too nice to be that person. It couldn't possibly who, be. Who me. did they think it was? Well, did it ever? Did anybody ever say, "Oh, maybe it's Gaskin"? People said, "No, it's not him." Not that I was aware of. Um, were but, there guesses of who it was, and it was totally off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Some people. And the thought- only people who knew were you and Anton. Yeah, me and Anton and um, my sales director. Interesting. Who hated the fact that I was writing it and was convinced that I was... Worried that it was going to take down the house. Yeah. 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 But I kept saying to him, you know, listen, nobody gives a shit about me anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, my survival in this business has nothing to do with whether or not um, I say Anna Wintour is a bitch or not. Right. You know, everybody knows that she is. So what difference does it make? Right, 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 right. I will survive if my clothes continue to sell and for no other reason. And if you continue to do your job. Yeah. But if anything, um, this could be interesting for us. Yeah. And I mean, it, it also. Because no one was. Yeah. And if you're thinking about it now, 15, 20 years later, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you are where everyone would want to be now. You were in some ways like this anonymous influencer person, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. which is like kind of what people desperately want to do now. They would do this and then they have a big coronation ceremony. Ah, I'm Batman. Right. And then suddenly the paychecks start coming. Exactly. Right. So, how, so I didn't, the paychecks didn't get, well, let, let me change that. <laughs> Okay, so fast forward to um, it's two thousand nine, right? Which is originally the economy by the way, is tanked. How I've met you, yeah, because I end up shooting you for a magazine because of all of this, yeah. Right, go ahead. So it's time to tank, and I decide to close the business, and I decide- so wait, hold on a second. Two thousand eight flattened a lot of the fashion industry. Yeah, two thousand eight, two thousand nine thing yeah. really just tanked. Because not just the fashion, but yeah, I mean, small small businesses like mine in the fashion industry. But luxury were stuff hard. is the first thing to go because it's yeah. the last thing that people have money for at the time, right? And because the stores start um, having to buy into the the rules of the conglomerates, 
they control the real estate. Oh, they start the saying, we're no longer going to sell you if you don't get rid of these independents or whatever. No, not if you get rid. You, they don't say you have to get rid of them. They just say, we want this oh, much of the store. We're going to be up front. Yeah. And part Gaskins of. Gaskins gets the back rack. Yeah. In fact, Gaskins doesn't get a rack now because where he normally would hang, we have that whole area now. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just, so the little guys kind of get, get, get squeezed. Yeah. And um, so I realized that I'd had a good run. You know, it'd been like 28 years. Yeah. And maybe it's better to go out um, in, on, a, on a high note instead of, you know, go out yeah. and smoke. Yeah. So yeah, be dragged down and be bankrupt in yeah. four, four years. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, and and there there were there were financial problems and issues that certainly necessitated too, but it seemed like the wise thing to do. Yeah. But I didn't want to go out quietly because I yeah. knew if I just closed the doors, I would be the sort of company that would just never be heard of or spoken about again. Yeah. Even though the blog existed. So I decided to take that blog and sort of use it as currency, and I called the New York Times. And Get some I press said, on it. I'm going to close, um, but when I close, I would like, I would like an obituary. Basically, yeah. I don't want to go out silently. Yeah. And, and if by the this way, helps, I'm this guy. Yeah, and if this helps in any way, by the way, yeah, I'm the emperor. Did you trust that? the person in the, I guess the fashion blog of the New York times would keep that secret if they weren't going to use you. If they weren't um, going to write a thing about you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't even really think about it because I was closing. And so whatever happened yeah, after they, that didn't really person, matter. Yeah. They're the ideal person to say something and they need content anyway. So yeah. of course they're going to write something. So if they're, you know, well, there's no guarantee, but yeah. if they do, then maybe they'll feel like they have something yeah. that they can, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. sink their teeth into. So, and if they don't and they decide to, you know, expose me, who cares? I'm already closed. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, so I yeah, didn't yeah. feel like I had yeah, anything to yeah. lose, but I had maybe something to gain. Yeah. So they gave me the most amazing yeah. send off, you know, three pages in the style section, the whole front yeah. third Which of you the never cover. have gotten without the blog. No way. Right. So no in way. the end, it ended up being a big deal. It was a good thing yeah. and a big deal. And did, now, did, and the message was spread because it was all about my sure. message, yeah. Which is, you know, the business is full of blood sucking scumbags. Which is still true, if not more today. Of course, more. Yeah. Now, it, now it, they're bigger you, and stronger. Did you still have some inventory uh, at the time? I, I'm just wondering I, if people suddenly came to you and said, "Oh, what do you have left? I want to buy some stuff." No. What What we did was we had orders. Yeah. And we didn't close until all the orders were filled. Okay. Fair enough. And there were, I'd say there were probably maybe two or three things that didn't get done because it just, they couldn't. Yeah. But the idea was to finish the business that was on the, you know, on the books yeah. and close. Now the times so that's when, what I did. When, when people come to you when it's celebrities or really rich people and they say, you know, I need a dress for this, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Will they come to you and say, look, I can w- name your price, but I want you to design something for me. It didn't work like me. that. Does usually. that ever happen? Yeah, you could have clients that wanted something designed specifically for you, but mostly they would come with their personal shoppers and just choose from the collection yeah. and be able to choose anything they want and choose it in any color that yeah. they want or whatever. And if changes happen, then changes happen. Right. But it wasn't like they come in and say, oh, design a dress for me. Right, right. That doesn't that's happen. That's a fallacy, no. Okay, yeah. That's, I was, that's a dressmaker. 
Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I never wanted to be a dressmaker. You don't want to be that. And so when people say that to me now, like, you know, when they hear you were a designer for 30 years, and they say, oh, I want you to do a dress for me. It's like, no, I'm not a dressmaker. Right, right. I'm not your your maid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's funny. It's it's different. It's, see, I, I, I didn't mean that as a... As, no, no, no. As, but as a, that's what people think. I know, but it's funny. In my head, I would think, oh, this is like carte blanche, right? Like, if you're going to pay me 20 grand to make a dress, like... Yeah. I can do whatever I want, and I can do something that maybe wouldn't sell for anybody, but works on this person, or you know what I mean. Well, like there I, were situations <clears throat> like that, but it was you know one one I can think of that was really kind of fun. Um, a woman out in Bridgehampton was having a very big party, and she was a very big person on Wall Street, and she wanted me to design something for her, something for her mother-in-law, something for her mother. <laughs> And something for the four kids and the one adopted kid from Harlem. Oh, for God's sake. She had to let me know. From Harlem. Oh, right. Yeah. So. They're black. It means, you know, that kid could be black. So I thought, okay. (laughs) And uh, and I said, so, you know, are, are there any parameters? She said, underneath the sea. I said, and is there a budget? She said, no, just use your imagination and try to be reasonable. Yeah, 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 right. And You're not going to send her a, a bill for 200 grand. No, like, right, of right, course not. Right. But I think underneath the sea for like, you know, seven or eight people was probably a good 12 or 13 grand. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. And that kid from Harlem got something really nice. Yeah, Believe yeah, Believe me, yeah, I yeah, made yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, she got yeah, something yeah, really yeah. great. Yeah, so that was a wonderful, op- and I was invited to the party. Yeah, so I was there to see, it, and it was a blast. You know, a tent. Yeah. And, and did people come over to you and say, "You, I hear you just yeah, glasses. and that's yeah. that happened a lot. Yeah, yeah, and that stuff was fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. because it's just, it's just, it feels good. Yeah, of course, it feels good. Yeah, those are the perks. Yeah, those were my perks. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. wasn't a private jet. It right. wasn't. You know, a weekend in Aspen with Goldie and and Kurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it was appreciation. It's weird to me. I mean, there are times when I will get paid, you know, oh, a few thousand dollars to go take some portrait of something, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, the ones that I think about the most are not necessarily even somebody famous, but somebody that I respect. You know, some job I want to do. Yeah. Or even if even if it's just for me, somebody I get to go shoot. Just because I'd love to meet that person and see yeah. what I can do with them. I mean, there's there's value in that. That I think some people who are a little bit more um, mercenary, yeah, wouldn't would be like, "What are you wasting your time doing that for nothing?" It's like, well, because I want to do it because I because I like what I do. Yeah. Did you always like what you did? Yes. 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 Do you think there are people in the industry who really just do it for the money or do it because? Yeah, they the do cachet it. or yeah for the cachet. Yeah, because they want to go to the party and drink the champagne. That's and all they want to do. And whatever it is, that's all they want to do. A lot of drugs in the eighties in, in that industry. Oh god, yeah, still a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, I, without drugs, most of us wouldn't have gotten yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, what year did you get to New York? I got got to New York in eighty one. Eighty one in New York as a gay man. Yeah, that must have been an interesting time. Wild. You were right in the thick of it. Very deep. We're in lucky the you're here. I can't believe it. That's kind of nuts. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Anton too. Yeah. Neither of I us can serve me. when I shot him. He was yeah. just sort of like, I, you know. Yeah. We dodged, I can't tell you how many bullets. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I know a lot of people from around that time, half of which even since I met them are gone. Yep. You know, um, wow. That's kind of, did that decimate the, a lot of the fashion industry in New York too? So that must've changed things too. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Fran Lebowitz said something once she said when the AIDS, um, epidemic hit New York, it wiped out all of the connoisseurs in all the areas of culture in New York. And she's absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What was left were the survivors and then everybody else. Yeah. And it's the everybody else that took over and decided to become connoisseurs of they don't even know what the fuck their connoisseurs right, are, right, but right. that's what happened. Yeah, taste got decimated. Just yeah, from like one day to the next. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting because even looking through your closets, I know what you wear and what you design are two different things, and I've yeah. seen some of your designs. I haven't seen hundreds of them, mm-hmm. but your stuff is not outrageous Mm-mm. as a general rule. Like it, it's practical in some sense. Yeah, it's clean. Yes, clean. That's a good word. Yeah. Um, do you think that the, your taste is, is, is that that was a, a, a because of your upbringing, because of your your education, or do you think that's just your aesthetic as it is? I mean, even like what you wear normally, you know. I mean, you open it up has enti- to be. You open up an entire closet. He said, "Oh yeah, it's all look at the blues." Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't. I didn't grow up. We didn't have a lot of money, so right, yeah. it wasn't about stuff yeah so it wasn't Gutierrez or like that kind of no stuff. not at all like, yeah not at all um i just grew up with these dreams and desires for specific things yeah to yeah. do or to have in life yeah um and your, did your dreams come true yeah they did it's got to feel pretty great it does it does um i'm envious some of, of them you know some some of the most <laughs> treasured ones um, that had to stop when I stopped my business. They're the ones I miss the most. Yeah. That's the hardest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my business made it possible for me to realize those dreams, and I would never regret that or give that up. Sure. I, you know, and I would do it all again. Um, but yeah, I I was really lucky, and I had big dreams. And do you ever sit down with a sketchbook and mess around while you're watching TV? No. Yeah. Do you ever have a desire to do that? Uh, yeah, I have a desire to design all the time. Yeah. Not necessarily to sit down with a sketchbook, but when I'm out and around and seeing people and seeing things that make me think and seeing something that could be so much better, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have an itch. Always. Yeah. But you don't feel like scratching it. Oh, I do feel like scratching it. It's just it's very hard now. Yeah, so much yeah. harder now. When I, you know, first got itchy, yeah, it was so easy. I can't believe how easy. You know, I I think I started with about two hundred bucks. If I were to say how much money did I really have when I really started and decided to like take a stab, it was probably two hundred bucks. Right. Where now, if a kid comes off the street, mm. yeah, you can still make. <laughs> You can do it with hey, you can twenty go down bucks. Fashionary, you can go buy some bolts of cloth. Do whatever the. Get yourself a needle. There's a will. There's a way. Yeah. There is no one right way or wrong way. But um, yeah. I mean, 
And that's why I would say to anybody, it's worth the shot because it is, um, it's a means to an end. Yeah. And that end for me was to be able to design and create beautiful things, but to live my life in a certain way that I always dreamt of. Well, and if you don't take the shot, you never, you'll never know. You'll never know. You never know at all. Yeah. Never know. You know, like I wanted horses. I only, I wanted, I had to have a horse at a certain, you know, I just had to, I grew up, all my friends had horses, you know, in a town filled with beautiful horses. And I had parents who could give a shit about, you know, why do you want a horse? Who, you know, what fantasy is that was never their fantasy. It was mine. Right. And I had two magnificent horses. And my, my coach was on the U.S. Olympic team, and I rode with uh, members of the U.S. Olympic team training yeah. here and in Florida. I mean, my dream came true. Times no regrets. Thousand. Oh, my God. Oh. It's amazing. Amazing. I'm envious. It amazes me. You're having a hell of a life. I can't believe that I, I, I can't believe I did most of it. And that's the weird thing that's is what I you gotta do. Well, I've been working on that. Oh, okay. All right. I just want to yeah. make sure. Yeah. Been working on that since I since I closed. And I got a, a letter today from an, an agent who has a few chapters of it who said, um, this is interesting. So who knows? Who knows? Uh thank you. This is fun. I loved it. You had a good time? Oh yeah. <laughs> He's like, we're talking about me. It's fine. <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't, it's not, there's, uh, there've been so many interesting things that have happened. And yeah. if, if I don't, if I'm not asked the question, I don't get a chance to, yeah, to yeah, share it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fun to relive it. Yeah. By sharing it. I, you know, I was at the, uh, Paul Taylor student dance studios uh-huh. a couple of few weeks ago shooting all the dancers uh, over four days. And I'm <clears throat> there's a dance that they do called Esplanade, which is like this uh-huh. famous Taylor dance. And it's like six women and three men. All the women wear dresses except for one woman who wears pants. Mm-hmm. And so I had the rehearsal director guy in front of me at one point, And I said, Hey, listen, why does one of the women wear pants in Esplanade? I've seen this dance eight times now. I'm friends with all these people in the company. Like mm-hmm. why the pants? And he said, well, you know, this, that, and the other thing about, matriarchal, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, you know, Betty, who's this 86-year-old woman who's like the assistant rehearsal director who's still there with the company, who's been with Paul since the 50s, still works there. And he said, Betty originated that role. And I said, hold on a second. And I walked out the room and Betty's sitting in the the thing. And I go over to Betty and I say, Betty, I hear you originated the role with the pants in Espanol. She goes, oh, yes, you know, old lady. You know, I said, why do you wear pants? And she said, well... We were working on a uh, we were working on Esplanade and on this other dance called Orbs. And I said, okay. She said, in, originally, all the women wore pants. And I said, that's interesting in itself mm-hmm. that all the women wore pants. He goes, yes. And one day, uh, we were doing a dress rehearsal and, of Orbs, and all the women came in with their dresses on. And Paul wanted to do Esplanade. And he said, well, it looks really good in the dresses. We should just have them all in dresses. Except for you, Betty, you stay in pants. <laughs> and I said, hold on a second. Totally. It's because Paul thought you looked good in pants that day? And she said, well, I guess so. Arbitrary. And here's the, here's, which is fascinating because you know what? If no one ever asked this woman this story, it would get lost to time because she could die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. 
But what I find fascinating about it and what I find fascinating about all the people I know who make things, whether it's photographers or mm. painters or fashion designers or mm. dancers or whatever it is, almost all of the decisions that people who talk about it later put weight on were not that way for the person who made the thing. The reason why the dress is red was because that's the bolt of cloth you had next to you at the time, not because you spent six weeks looking for yeah. a red bolt of cloth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I think that it's something that people who curators and people who write labels and write essays yeah. don't understand is that those things that they take so much meaning in, they do have meaning, but it's like this instantaneous blink meaning. It's not, you know what it's I mean? Not, yeah, it's not, happenstance. It's, right. The reason why things go the way they go, it's it not feels, always. It's a gut thing. It feels yes. right. And we got to move on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Next. And I feel like, and, and so when you hear stories and you hear you talking about this and you hear Betty talking about that, it makes me feel good to know that this is true for other people too. Because anytime people comment about things on my work, they say, oh, well, you know, why was that candle over there in the corner? Yeah. And like, I yeah. love the candle. I was like, yeah. Because it was sitting there. I didn't even notice the candle. Right. Right. You know, and it's the most meaningful thing to them for whatever reason. And if you stopped and thought as much as you're supposed to think about every single single thing, you could do it. You'd never never get past that one shot. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Exactly. And that's the thing that people don't understand. You can't have your attention on a hundred things at once. Your attention flirts. It's like like a spotlight that's going Mm -hmm. across a field. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's lots of stuff in the field maybe you didn't even see. And what you went into the field for is maybe not even the thing that the field has to offer. Yes. Yeah. And you have to be willing to accept that. Yes. Oh, I, that, that, when I, back when I was in school, I went to school for music. Mm-hmm. And we used to do a lot of studio work. And people would come in and say, you know, I want the drums on this record to sound like this. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, that's not what your drums sound like. And they definitely don't sound like that in this room. You know what I can do? Mm-hmm. I can make them sound like those drums in this room. Because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what it is. And if you come in with these preconceived notions, yeah, you know what? The, the drum sound that you like, they didn't work on that for six weeks. That was the sound that it sound, what it sounded like right. when they set up mics in that room when that right. guy played. Right. They didn't don't craft try to chase that. them. Right. Make your thing. And let's make your thing. And mm-hmm. this is how you sound. Yeah. You know? You're not them. You're you, and mm-hmm. that's okay, and stop beating yourself up about it, you know? But that's a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And that's what separates, but I, I think, think, a lot of the men the w- from the boys. Yeah, but in the way that you said that, in some ways, the maturity of knowing that it's about refinement. And is, not invention. Exactly. Is, 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 it's a similar argument, right? Right. You know, where it's just like, no, you right. got to let go of trying to be like your heroes. Just be you. Right. You Find know? your own voice. Yep. And you know what? 50% of the people aren't going to like it. Right. And you know what? Don't listen to them. Right, because it's not of, for them. Yeah, a friend of mine who I interviewed for this, my friend Gigi, she said, you know, when it comes to, because I said, how do you deal with disappointment? Mm-hmm. And she said, when somebody says no to me, somebody once taught me this, that a no isn't a negative thing, it's a nothing. Yeah. Right? No isn't bad. No is just no new information. Yeah. Okay. You know, Eric didn't like my photograph. That's okay. Right. You know, Anton did. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and that's okay. Yeah. But it's a hard thing to get to. But it's a reality, especially when you have, it's not just like, you know, your mom and your sister and your partner looking at what you do. If you put it out into the world and tens of thousands of people are looking at it, 
most of them are not going to like what you make. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You just have to be sort of prepared somehow to deal. Yeah. but I Or think, learn how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think some people don't. Yeah. And they, and they have no business. And all kinds of problems. And, right. you know. But, like, ultimately, you're going to be lying in your deathbed, and you're going to be happy you put that thing out into the world. You're not going to be thinking necessarily about the one asshole who didn't like what you mm-hmm. made. You know? Mm-hmm. So thank you for sitting down with me. I think this was good. Good. It was fun. <laughs> really fun. You're not on any social media now, are you? Uh, no. Yeah. What was the last time you wrote on the blog? About a year and a half ago. What's the URL? What was the name? Yeah. Uh, the Emperor's Old Clothes. Right. And then I created a new one. I let that one rest. Sit there. It's, that's, yeah. it's still that's there. That's the grandma. I think go, it's still you there. You find those first three posts that uh, you wrote. Yeah, all... I, I, printed, I printed them all out. Oh, did you just see you have them? I have a folder. Nice. I have a, a binder. Yeah. That's thick. Uh, just in case. It has 600 posts. Wow. And that's not all of them. Wow. <laughs> Took the first 600. It probably missed maybe the... The last 20, 30. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. But yeah, I have the very first one. Yeah. See, that, that, that in itself is a book. That was, that amazed me more than anything. Seeing that. Fact that you wrote 600 pages of a I book. I fucking believe it. Yeah. Double-sided yeah. pages. Yeah. And I would just open to one and i start reading. And it's still interesting. It's still interesting. And a lot of it was really funny. I was like insane <laughs> stuff. Saying really fucked up insane stuff about yeah. people. Like a fantasy plane trip to Europe with Andre Leontali. Sure. Except Andre makes these pronouncements of, you know, what is versus what isn't. Right. So Andre has decided that it's not about, you know, Louis Vuitton luggage. It's about IKEA shopping bags. That's the only way to travel. So now I've got like six <laughs> IKEA shopping bags in the blue things, you know, and it's not about money because, you know, money is so de classe and this and that and this and that. So this whole story is about, you know, following to the letter Andre's pronouncements and not getting out of fucking New- Newark right. to even get to Europe because your ticket is fucked up, yeah, your bags yeah. they won't take, yeah. you know, you have no money, whatever. But I would write crazy stuff too. Like, get really stoned and just rant. All right, I gotta go read some of these things. Yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll find some some good special ones for you, yeah. and you can take a peek. Okay. The other thing in there that were really the things that I was most proud of were the tributes to designers when they died. Oh yeah, that's important. I did your own little obituaries. Five or six of those. Yeah. That I'm super super proud of. They were. Good pieces of writing. Okay. For I'm, Alexander McQueen and Yves Saint Laurent and a few others. Laurent was around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, generations. Yeah. Man. Live by the sword, died by the sword, you know. Or the fabric shears. Yeah. <laughs> and then being able to like go, now they turned the house into a museum and Anton and I were able to go and see the studio and they have it just as though he's gone to lunch yeah. with everything. His sketches and pen, his jacket is on the back of his chair. His glasses are on the table. The chair is just aside, like he just stepped out. 
to see that. Yeah. Those were those were our gods. Yeah. And they were they, gods. They, even the way you talk about it, even in a world that I'm not particularly, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. fluent in, mm-hmm. I can understand why these people were important, you know? Um, and in the fashion industry, there is the element of they are famous, their stuff is sold, therefore they are important, as opposed to in the painting world where somebody like, you know, Van Gogh will be around and then yes. only get discovered 30 years later or whatever it is. The fashion people, they're either famous in their lifetimes or they never existed. Right. You know. Right. And most of us, in that sense, never existed. But the ones that leave a mark yeah. like that, it's awesome to, to witness. Yeah, their whole lives. Awesome. Uh, all right, I'm going to go edit this down and uh, we will, we'll have we'll okay. to do some more of these. This is fun. Think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm game. Yeah, think of something else. I'm sure I can. I can hum, hum along. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun